The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We are one week away from Easter, and I would love, love to invite you to join us in person next week, April the 9th. We are going to have services in Oklahoma City at 8.30 and 10.30, Norman 9.30 and 11.30. We're splitting them so that all of them will have live teaching, amazing worship, an opportunity to come with your friends and family that you invite and celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. I would love, love to see each and every one of you there, shake your hand and celebrate Jesus with you. We are continuing to plug through the Gospel of Luke. We're actually starting chapter 20 today, so we've reached another milestone. And in chapter 20, the first eight verses that we'll look at today, we see Jesus being questioned by the religious elite. Before we jump in, I just want to make sure that we set up what's happening. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, and it has been intense thus far. Sunday, the triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem. Everyone's shouting and cheering, excited about what they think is going to happen. But instead, he walks in, turns around, and leaves. He comes back Monday morning. They're probably a little less excited, but they wonder what's going to happen. And boy, they are not let down. Jesus comes in, sees what's happening in the temple courts, and he starts flipping over tables and sending people out saying, my father's house, this house will not be made into a den of robbers. I won't allow it. Now stop what you're doing. After doing that, he continues to teach Another night passes, and we are now at Tuesday morning. Tens of thousands of people gathered because it is the Passover festival. They come to Jerusalem every year for this, the highest of religious holidays. But they are definitely wondering what Jesus will do on this day. They're excited about thinking, uh, what are we going to get to witness here today? And even if we don't get to witness anything as crazy as Sunday or Monday, at least we're going to hear some good teaching. The religious leaders who have taken it on the chin thus far, they actually come into Tuesday morning a little excited as well. And they're excited because they've got a plan. They've got a plan to try to trap Jesus. They want to trap him in his own words. They formulated a question that they think is going to produce an answer that would cause the crowd, the tens of thousands, many of whom are huge Jesus fans right now, to go, oh, I don't like that. And here's their plan. They want to ask a question that will cause Jesus to commit blasphemy, that will cause Jesus to say in as many words, I am God. Because while everyone truly loves Jesus, and he is at the height of his popularity right now, if he were to say, I am God, or I'm the Son of God, even his greatest fans wouldn't like that. Many of them believe he's a prophet. Many of them believe he's somewhere similar to like John the Baptist, maybe a little below, maybe a little above. But if he were to say, I am God, no, they wouldn't wouldn't accept that. And the religious leaders know that, and so they want to play into that. They want to get Jesus to make a statement that will literally, literally cripple him by his own admission. And so that's their game plan. That's what they come into this day, Tuesday, wanting to do. We see it in Luke chapter 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, I love that. 
Okay, before we go any further, I just love it. He's proclaiming the good news of eternal life. He's proclaiming the good news of following God and the love that God has for them. That he's just doing what he's done his entire ministry, making sure people know the good news. There was a group gathered, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and together with the elders came up to him. So let's unpack how potent this group really is. Chief priests. Now you have a high priest who is appointed and rules for a certain period of time. The chief priest would comprise those who had been high priests in the past and were still alive. They would be also the lifelong temple priests. Most priests, while there's thousands of them, they come in for two weeks a year. But there are a few permanently placed temple priests. They, they are part of the chief priests that live in Jerusalem full time. Think upper management. Okay? Think upper management when you think of that. That's this group, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. These are expert lawyers, but don't think in a courtroom, think expert lawyers on the law of Moses, the Old Testament. If you had a question about the Bible, you went to them. They knew the answer, and it wasn't just pompous. They truly knew the answer because they'd spent their entire life studying and preparing themselves for this. So you got chief priests, you got teachers of the law, and then you have the elders. These are affluent aristocrats from powerful Jewish families that are well-liked and well-respected within Jerusalem. That is the comprising of this group that comes up to Jesus as he's just teaching in the temple courts. These were also the men, though, who stood to lose the most because of Jesus. We, we talked about it a little bit. Think about last week when we talked about the taxation in, in the temple, how the chief priests and the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were, they were becoming rich off of charging people to worship. If Jesus were to truly shut this down, that, that would mean their livelihood. These are also people who are incredibly, incredibly powerful. They have political positions. So their status was in jeopardy here. Their wealth, their position, their status. Jesus is threatening all of these things. So they have a mutual bond and they have a great fear for Jesus, which explains why they ask the question. And here's the question, Luke chapter 20, verse 2. Hey, Jesus, tell us, by what authority... You are doing these things. Why are you getting to teach? Why are you flipping over tables? By what authority are you doing these things? They said, who gave you this authority? Who granted you this authority? Now, clearly, clearly, they're trying to trap Jesus. We know this because they want him to blaspheme himself. That's what, that's what they ultimately want. But you can also hear in the undertone of this, even though it's written, you can hear in the undertone, hey, who gives you the right? Who gives you the right to come into our temple and start tearing up stuff? Who gives you the right to come in and start over-teaching things that we've been teaching for decades right here? Who, who gives you that authority? So they're trying to trap him, but I think they also want to know, man, what gives? What rabbi discipled you? Did you go to any major Hebrew schools? Come on. We know the answer is no. How can anyone trust what you're saying? Who gave you the authority? Now, I believe that they 
premeditated this, and they safely assumed that Jesus would say he gets his authority from God. They can safely assume he would answer their question in that way because he has already done so. He's already said publicly, I say and do only what the Father tells me to do. That's it. I say and do what the Father tells me to do. But what they're really hoping he'll say, what they're hoping they might be able to trip him up on and just get him to utter this one time. By what authority are you doing this? Who gave you this authority? I did. I'm doing it on my authority because I'm the son of God. They were hoping just maybe, just maybe he would get angry enough, frustrated enough with their fickleness and just say, I don't need any authority because I'm God. However, Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what motivates them and what they're trying to accomplish. And he won't, he won't play their game, but he does engage. He doesn't just walk away, doesn't just turn his back and say nothing. He engages, just not the way that you and I would expect. His response is is unique. He could have, he could have done a few things. He could have done some name dropping, okay? When 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 conflicted, when confronted, name dropping is not a bad idea. He, He could have said, remember one of your own, one of your own Sanhedrin, 72 members of the ruling council of Jerusalem, one of your own members His name was Nicodemus, I think. Yeah. Remember him? He knew the answer to your question. Why don't you go ask him? He knew by which authority I did this. It's recorded in John chapter 3, verse 2. He came to Jesus at night, talking about Nicodemus, and he said, Rabbi, we, talking about other religious leaders, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. We know that. We know the authority by which you do this. It comes from God. For no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he could have name-dropped Nicodemus, and they'd have been like, "Uh uh-oh. Or he could have responded in the same way that he did in a conversation they had, some of the same people, two and a half years ago. Some of the same religious leaders came up to Jesus and his disciples and they said, hey, John the Baptist, his disciples, they seem to be fasting as is customary, but yours aren't. You care to explain why your disciples aren't being as religious, aren't doing the right thing? You you care to explain that? And as the conversation went on, John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave them this answer. Some of the same probably people that are standing there on this Tuesday, he said this, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, yes, to your amazement, he will show you through me even greater things than these. He could have done that. He easily could have answered their question in that way without implicating himself, without doing anything negative. He could have done that. But instead he answers like this, Luke chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. He replied, I will also ask you a question. You ask me a question, I'll ask one back. Tell me this, John's baptism. Now it's not talking about the act of John being baptized. It's talking about John baptizing hundreds of thousands out in the Jordan River. So John's baptism, was it from heaven, from God, Or was it of human origin from man? 
So he's asking them their same question, but in reference to John the Baptist. Who gave John the Baptist the authority to baptize and teach? Was it God or was it just him? Was he just out there doing his own thing? Now, the religious leaders wouldn't have been as thrown off by this response as you and I are. Because in rabbinic rabbi debates, it was considered to be masterful of a subject if you could respond with a question. So when Jesus responds with a question, they're just going, all right, he's engaging. This is going to be good. We'll get to our answer. He's responding to our question with a question. We should have seen that coming, but we'll go back and forth now for a little while and we will ultimately get him because he's, he's going to answer. They were thinking that, but the problem was they hadn't realized how good his question was. His question was brilliant because John the Baptist, he was the forerunner of Jesus. And since he was the forerunner, their message and their purposes were the same. Okay, they, they were nearly identical. What John was preaching and what Jesus was preaching was about the kingdom of God coming. So, I mean, they had the same agenda. And so it was just logical then to assume that they had the same authority. They were speaking and teaching because of the same authority. And John's baptism was symbolic of his authority. So they're asking the same question. They're caught now, unfortunately, the religious leaders are, in a catch-22. No matter how they answer, no matter how they answer, they look bad. That's something these men try very hard to avoid, is looking bad. They don't, they don't want to look bad in front of their people. They definitely don't want to look bad in front of tens of thousands who are now seeing this debate unfold. And so they need to confer before they answer Jesus' question, they need to talk to one another and figure out how they're going to respond. Luke chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. They discussed it among themselves and they said, okay, this is just to, to one another. If we say John's baptism was from heaven, he will ask then, why didn't you believe me? So Jesus would say, if you think John came from heaven and that's where his authority came from, why, why are you questioning mine? But, verse 6, if we say of human origin, if we say John was just out there doing his own thing, if we say that, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Church, Jesus got them good with this question. He got them good. They debate. Hey, guys, come here. If we say from heaven we look like fools... Because about a year and a half ago, they had decided as a group that they did not believe in John, John the Baptist's teachings. They just decided that the religious elite were against John. So if they come back now and say from heaven, they look like fools, hypocrites. They do not want to do that. So they can't say from heaven. But if they say from man, there's a huge crowd of people there that's gathered that are still very upset about John the Baptist's murder by King Herod. He was beheaded simply because he spoke out against, against King Herod's incestuous relationship. So he spoke out against that. He gets beheaded. There's a huge group of people that go, that's wrong. That shouldn't have happened. So if they say John was just another man, then it's likely they're going to completely revolt. The crowd will. So they're stuck. 
They're stuck. And, and I always ask you, okay, I always ask you to put yourself in this scene. So, so painting the picture here. Remember back from verse 1. The group that is gathered having this conversation with, amongst itself. If we say this, we lose. If we say this, we lose. These are the smartest, most powerful people in Jerusalem. And they do not know how to respond. So, and this I love, they have to swallow, they have to swallow their extensive religious pride and their overinflated egos. And they have to answer Jesus like this. I mean, this had to hurt. Luke chapter 20, verse 7. So they answered. We, we don't know where it came from. The greatest group of minds in Jerusalem have to come back after conference and stand in front of Jesus and go, we don't know. We don't know. Now, if I'm Jesus... I rub that in their face. I, I have a few snarky comments to, just to come back with, but not Jesus. No. Luke chapter 20, verse 8, finishing our passage today. This is what Jesus said. Well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. If, if you don't have to answer the question because the huge crowd watching them probably turn on them, then, then neither will I, gentlemen, because I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to trap me. So, if you don't have to answer, I'm not going to answer. And from there, Jesus just went on teaching. Not a bad Tuesday, just a little road bump in his teaching as this huge crowd comes to think they're going to trap him, but they can't because it's not his time. He just stared down and silenced the most powerful people in the city. People dead set on ending him. And he did it easily, and he did it humbly. And if you were with us last week, uh, I had to ask this question at the end after reading the passage. What, what, do we, what do we do with this? How does this apply to us? It's a, it's a cool story. I, I, I like it. I'm picturing it in my mind. It's, it's pretty good. But uh, how do we apply it? Well, we could possibly learn some conflict resolution tactics from Jesus because he handled conflict very well there. And so the next time you have a murderous group of people who wants to trap you in your own words, now you know how to re respond. So we could learn that. We could glean how to best respond to difficult people. It's, it's best to engage but not let them control you. We, we, could, we could talk about that sermonically. We could do that. We could say that this passage is biblical proof not to question God. Don't, don't question God. He'll get you in the end. But that's not even true. So God's a Big boy, he can handle our questions. So I, I'm kind of stuck then. I'm stuck. What, what do we do? What do we do with this passage? And, and here's what I've concluded. I think 2,000 years after this occurred, it's safe to allow ourselves to answer the question for Jesus the right way. Not that what he said was wrong. He just didn't answer. He couldn't answer because if he'd answered correctly, if he said, I'm God, I don't need anyone else's authority, I'm God. If he'd said that, he would have been killed that day. A few days premature of his divinely appointed time on the cross, 
to lay down his life for your sins and mine. So he knew he couldn't answer on that day. He handled it masterfully. But what if we just, what if we just answered the question for him? Knowing what we know today. The religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing this? How dare you come into our temple and do what you did yesterday? How dare you come in and start teaching these things? By what authority do you do this? And Jesus, had he been able to, had he not had a date on Friday with the cross, what if he had answered this way? Well, let me see. By what authority? Well, first, I was born of a virgin because my father is God in heaven. When I was 12 years old, I was right here in these temple courts as a 12-year-old, and I was stumping some of you with your own questions and your own conversation. At 12, you, some of you right here, right now, you said, I'm amazed at your wisdom and knowledge. That was happening at 12. Well, then I, I was baptized around the age of 30, and when I came up out of the water after John baptized me, um, literally the heavens parted and my father, remember, remember my father in heaven? He spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're asking by what authority? Uh, that actually wasn't the only time my father spoke audibly. That People heard him say this. It happened again on a mountain. This was about a year ago, but there were only three others that saw it that day, Peter, James, and John. But my father said the same thing. He added actually one more phrase. He said, you should probably listen to him. You ask, what authority do I have? Well, I'm one of only two people that I'm aware of that have ever walked on water. I don't know if that gives me all the authority in the world, but that's pretty impressive. I was able a while back to raise my friend Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead a few days, and it pained me, so I brought him back to life. I, I can do that. Now, I'm not the only one in history to have ever done that, but it's a pretty short list. You see, when I speak, demons flee. When I reach out my hand and touch the sick, they're healed. You want to know by what authority I do this? Well, see, when I teach, people hang on my every word. Because I teach with power and authority. They can tell a difference. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The crowds had said that. Matthew recorded it. He could have just mentioned that. There's a big group of people a long time ago that said, I teach better than you because I teach with authority. I'm Savior. I'm Lord. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm preeminent over all creation because I spoke all of creation into existence. You want to know by what authority I do these things? Jesus could have stolen the words of Paul. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And it maybe would have sounded something like this. Jesus might have said, I'm the son. I'm the image of the invisible God. 
I'm the firstborn over all creation. And whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through me and for me. I'm before all things, and in me all things hold together. And I am the head of the church, the body. I'm the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything I might have supremacy. For my Father God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in me. And through me, he wanted to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So in short, you want to know by what authority I do these things? It's because I'm God. Now back off and bow down. Because I'm God. And church, when we see Jesus for who he really is. And we understand by what authority he has the right to ask us for our lives, to ask us to surrender to him all that we are and all that we have. When we understand correctly the authority by which he asks for that, our confession of faith, our full surrender, when we understand that he is God and we are not It makes it much easier for us to turn, repent from our sins, and trust him as Lord and Savior. Jesus didn't answer the religious leaders on that Tuesday in this way, but he could have. And now, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the cross, everything I've said and more is true about who he is and why he can demand to be number one in your life. So my, cl- my question as we close today is this. Will you let him be? Will you let him be Lord of your life? Will you let him be Savior and King, healer and sustainer? Will you let him hold your life together as he holds the universe together? Will you do that? And stop questioning By what authority he has the right to ask that of you. His authority is the fact that he's God. So Father, help us today to see who your son Jesus truly is, to surrender our lives to you completely, to trust in his authority, his good grace and love. God, help us to do just that for the glory of your name, for the advancement of your kingdom. And Lord, most importantly, for the salvation, salvation of our souls. We love you. We need you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.